0: Hi friends, it's Ann West. Just a couple of things before we get into today's episode, which features Terry Young of Healthy Acadia. In this episode, we discuss trauma, suicide prevention, domestic violence, and substance use, all things that could be triggering for some people. We love our listeners and want you to know, if you are concerned about yourself or about somebody else, please call the main crisis hotline at one 888 568 If you are not in Maine, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273 talk That's 8255. On a lighter note, we're still recording via Zoom, and the quality of this recording was not perfect. Please bear with us, and hopefully in the near future, we will be recording these episodes safely in person. Stay healthy, positive, and kind. Hello, friends. It's Anne West, Executive Director of the Island Health and Wellness Foundation, and we are back with another episode of the Just for the Health of It podcast. In this conversation, I'm talking with Tara Young. Tara is the Drug-Free Communities Program Coordinator for Healthy Acadia. As usual, this is not intended to serve as any sort of medical or healthcare advice, It's just for educational purposes, and hopefully we'll have a little fun along the way. So with that, let's launch into our conversation. Tara, in your own words, tell me who you are, where you work and what you do.
1: Well, I'm a prevention specialist and I work at Healthy Acadia and the drug-free communities. uh, We call it the DFC for short. Our aim is to prevent youth substance use So the approach that we take to that is focused primarily on primary prevention. And what that means is that we're increasing protective factors um, at the community, individual and institutional levels. Uh, So like uh, parental involvement, youth engagement in sports and activities and promoting mental health. And in addition to educating youth and parents about the dangers of alcohol, marijuana and nicotine, like including vape products, um, as well as educating them about prescription drug misuse and illegal drug use as well. We're also trying to decrease risk factors like adverse childhood experiences and build systems through policy and law and design that really are effective in creating um, community protective factors and
0: reducing the risk factors. Wow, that, that is diverse, um, but each of those things is so desperately needed, so we're, we're super glad you're here. Can you talk about the programs and services that you offer to this community? Sure, um, some of the things that
1: I do are education specific, like programs for students. We have a resilience skills building training series. Um, I do substance specific education so that youth are aware of what risks they are they have to their health and their developing brain. Um, I have a tiny fraction of the budget of nicotine and alcohol and retail marijuana uh, companies have to put messaging out. So I also have media literacy components to my substance prevention presentations, as well as a standalone media literacy presentation so that young people can actively evaluate the messages that are being put out to them by these big corporations that have a lot of money that are actively targeting young people. Um, for instance, you know, like I said earlier, I'm a prevention professional. I only learned about melatonin vapes a few months ago. And I asked my 16 year old, Have you heard of melatonin vapes? And he said, Oh, yeah, I get social media ads for them. I, I've been getting them for like a year. And I was stunned that somebody working, in prevention specifically, I asked all of my colleagues, none of us had heard
0: about this product at all. I, I feel that because working with substance use as a major arm of the work that I do, I feel like I am constantly in the learner seat and that every report that comes out from the state, every update that we get, it's filled with more information and and it, it feels like a catch up, like you're trying to catch up and and learn as much as possible, um, but there's always something new. So I, I completely get that. And um, I've really appreciated the work that you've done um, in a couple of different areas. So I'm just, I'm going to kind of take a minute and and call you out in a good way, mm-hmm. Um You came down to the island, uh, this was pre-pandemic, and did some resiliency training, and I think that's really, really important. That training was done through the school system, and one thing that I thought was really nice that you offered was the opportunity for you to meet with parents, Um, because as parents, it's one thing to send your child to school and, and have them receive these trainings, But it was so nice that you wanted to share the message with the parents too, so that they knew what they were getting. Um, And then the other thing is just recently, you attended, um, because you regularly attend our Substance Use Community Coalition meetings, and you and one of your colleagues gave an amazing presentation um, called Language Matters. And it was about the importance of using recovery-friendly language um, to continue to reduce the stigma around substance use treatment, um, and also really to bring more people to the message without the risk of offending them. And I thought both of those were such valuable programs and probably not something um, I would have thought of without your help and your expertise. So thank you. Oh, thank um, you. Speaking of services and programs, what, what is one service or program that you offer That you wish more people knew about
1: um i have a series of trainings on suicide prevention anywhere from one hour to a really intensive two-day training um so the one-hour trainings just cover uh awareness and a little bit about what we as a community can do to prevent suicide but the two-day trainings are really intense and are kind of like CPR. They teach anyone from a 16 year old student to a physician or a teacher or a social worker skills that they can learn to improve um, on how to recognize the warning signs, how to ask the question of somebody, are you thinking about suicide? Um, How to listen and help and how to make a safety plan and get them to the next level of care. And this is a really fantastic evidence-based training every time I present this training to a community group um, I have somebody come back to me within the next few weeks and say I used those skills that you that we learned in, in class and you know I helped somebody and they told me a couple days later that they probably would have died if I hadn't said what I said and done what I did and they're like before the training I don't know that I would have known to ask the question or had the skill to help them. So every single time we do the training, I feel like we save at least one life and probably more because I think a lot of people, a lot of times with prevention work, you don't know what you've prevented. So right. this is so fantastic that this one really, a lot of people really get to feel the impact of this training. It, it literally
0: saves lives and, and I- it's, it's free. That's amazing, and I think, again, what a great program to highlight, especially right now, because I feel like with the pandemic, with all of the stressors going on, so many people are feeling stress at such a higher level than they have in the past, Um, so we're going to circle back around to that and talk about the cost or lack thereof of your programs, which also is amazing. So I touched on the pandemic, but tell me how has the pandemic affected the work that you do?
1: It has really affected it quite a bit. I used to be in schools um, every day, almost every day, sometimes up to three schools a day. I'd be driving across the county, scheduling myself months out in advance to uh, do resilience training here and suicide prevention there. And a substance specific training here, and that's not counting the community groups, which are usually later in the evening, but just I was in in and out of schools all day. And a lot of the training doesn't really um, work with Zoom as well. I have been doing some Zoom presentations with schools, but especially resilience training is so interactive and it's so important to build that connection and have that connection with youth that it, it just isn't the same So I've been focusing a lot more on um, policy level work as well as community work that uh, we can really get into. So for instance, I'm working with the Yellow Tulip Project and a group in Ellsworth that have all gotten together to create a Hope Day, which is coming up on the 15th of May and will be at Knowlton Park from 10 to 1130. And it's going to be a really Fun, positive, hopeful event, and there'll be a jazz band there, and the school, the high school jazz band, and the show choir, and a few people talking about their experiences with mental health. And it's just going to be fantastic, and it's going to be very exciting. And I've also been working with Ellsworth and Bar Harbor groups to organize pride events and incorporate uh, substance prevention education at these events, as well as assist in planning. Um, education events around Pride Month for medical providers, peers, teachers, and community members um, about how they can be better allies to members of the LGBTQ community and ensure that our communities are celebrating diversity. Having a supportive community is a protective factor that helps prevent all youth from using substances
0: wow 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 you have been busy and you certainly yes. made lemonade out of lemons when it comes to the pandemic um, i am invited to your monthly meetings that you hold um, and one thing that i appreciate and that i'm going to try to do a better job of incorporating into our own um dear al stonington substance use community meetings is that most uh, if not all of your meetings have an educational component um, so when I go to those meetings, I learn. And you're always open to suggestions of, hey, I'd love to know more about this subject. Um, and you find the expert uh, somehow. I think you have a magical finding tool. Um, but you get them there. And it's so, it's so amazing how, much, how many topics each of our work touches. You, know, you, you don't always think substance use, suicide prevention might touch domestic violence. Um, but it does. And it's so important to have that, that well-educated, well-rounded um, system in place. And you've certainly done a lot to help educate us all.
1: Oh, I'm now, so glad you brought that up. Oh
0: yeah. Go sorry. ahead. Um, yeah. All of
1: these problems are really interrelated. And I think that's the thing I love the most about having a community coalition is it brings people from all aspects of the community together because we can't solve substance use disorder without solving all of these other problems. And we, we've been trying for so long um, to solve substance use disorder. And then another a- agency or organization is trying to solve domestic violence and intimate partner violence and abuse. And another agency is working on promoting mental health, but they are all interconnected. For instance, uh, with substance use disorder, over half of the people that die by suicide have substances in their bodies at the time that they die because it lowers their inhibition. It increases their impulsiveness. And so substance use disorder is intimately linked with suicide. And then when that suicide touches others in the community, it can promote feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, which can lead to anxiety and depression. And that can trigger substance use in another person. And so on and so on, and with, with same with domestic violence, a person who's battering their partner um, might batter more or more severely when they're using substances, or a person who is experiencing family violence or the child who's in the home is more at risk for substance use disorder because our brains physically change when we have those adverse events happen in our lives. And a a brain that has experienced trauma is more susceptible to substance use disorder.
0: That is all, it's so interesting how intertwined it is. And um, that's, it just puts more importance on the work that you're doing. Um, Things like the Tulip Project, uh, just the awareness that it's bringing to that issue. I've seen it now um, in the Ellsworth American. I think they're going for like a million bulbs or something like that. Um, which is such an amazing number and, and it brings gardeners into it. And there's just so much more awareness in that one project that's centered on flowers. So that's amazing.
1: All now, of those t- projects really bring a lot of hope and excitement and support to the community. I've had so many people, when we painted the crosswalks at Ellsworth uh, rainbow colors for pride last year, um, we had everybody from little kids jumping up and down when they saw us us painting the crosswalk at the high school and like, oh my gosh, that's so pretty, we love it. And we told them the kids, actual kids that said, yeah, we're gonna come and paint the crosswalks at your school in a couple of days. They literally started jumping up and down and going, yay, yay. They were so happy. And I've had um, members from the LGBTQ community that are adults that have said that they dropped their kids off and saw the rainbow crosswalks and it meant so much to them. They said that they were so happy and they'd never been more excited to be part of this community. We've had just such a positive response to that, that it's it's really brought that, that sense of community and that sense of hope. And these things that some people might think are just gestures, they're just the beginning. The work that it takes for the youth to get involved in planning these events, this was a kid's idea. Um, And then other kids were like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. How are we going to do it? They had to figure out how to do it. They had to go before the school board, getting them involved. The process is part of prevention. And that's what excites me so much. Getting youth involved, teaching them the skills to advocate for themselves and for their community and to make real change. And that will be able to translate for them in the future to changing policy.
0: And I I think that goes back to what we've learned as a society about the opposite of addiction is not abstinence or sobriety, it's connection. And each of these efforts, bringing people together um, and connecting them is just, it's incredible. And again, like you said, we may look at it from afar and say, well, that's wonderful and we're so glad it's happening. But to... People in particular, individuals, that can actually be life-changing or life-saving um, to know that they're part of a community that supports them. Um, so just another, another evidence of how important the work that you're doing is, even if you're not driving all over the county going into all the schools right now. But we hope you can do that soon.
1: I can't wait to get back mm-hmm. to seeing the kids every day. I mean, it's just that's been the hardest part for me is just not not being able to interact with them on a
0: daily basis. Kids are amazing, and um, I, I'm right there with you. Now, as a parent listening to this podcast, what are a couple of practical steps that we can all take to help our children avoid substance misuse?
1: The first and most important thing is just to talk to your kids. It's never too early to start the conversation, and it's never too late. I started talking to my kids when they were just infants. Like I would talk through everything with them, it's important to talk to kids, period. Um, I would tell them everything that was going on just so that they could develop vocabulary. But as soon as there was any opportunity to talk about substance use, like if I saw somebody smoking in, in a parking lot, I said, oh, we're gonna walk around this way because I don't wanna expose you to any secondhand smoke because smoke is really bad for your lungs. Even when they were two months old, I would say things like that. I know they don't understand those words yet, but it gets you in the habit of talking through those things. And so it's never too early to start having those conversations. You know, you have a three-year-old, you say you see cigarette butts on the, on the beach or in the park and you say, oh, yuck, look at all the litter this is creating, this isn't good. And you shouldn't touch those because they have very bad chemicals in them that can hurt you. Just use age appropriate language and talk to them about, uh, what it is specifically, but be um, you, you know use accurate information too, because kids know when they're being lied to. Um, so if you have a teenager, don't tell them marijuana will literally kill you the first time you try it because they'll know that that's not accurate, but you can share accurate health information. Marijuana is dangerous for you to use because it can raise your heart rate. And over time that can lead to heart disease and heart attacks. Um, It can cause psychosis, particularly in people with a history of mental illness. It's a very small risk, but it's a real risk and it's an unknown risk. So it's not worth taking that risk, things like that. So have those conversations. Um, And if you need help, uh, you can search up Talk They Hear You and it has great resources and even an app that can help you practice having conversations. Um, Also the Partnership to End Addiction has wonderful parent resources. Um, You can email me and I'll send you a PDF of a talk guide. You can email me and set up a time to chat. I'm happy to talk with parents one-on-one. I'm happy to have a presentation for a group of parents um, if they wanna schedule that. But I will literally talk to one individual parent about, you know, what do I say to my kid that's this age and talk about your specific circumstances. I have a lot of parents that say, well, how can I tell my kids not to use substances when they know that I used substances when I was that age? I have, you know, we can talk about how to talk about that. Like saying things like, I know that you're aware because grandma said that I went, I got in trouble for drinking, but I want you to know that just because I made a bad choice doesn't mean that you have to make the same bad choices. Um, And this is how that choice impacted me. Um, If I had it to do over again, I would have chosen differently. Things like that. Um, also, it's really important for parents to understand that it is not inevitable that teens will use or experiment with substances. Um, more than half of kids don't. And we have local data that shows that, that kids report that more than, more than half of kids report that they don't use substances. So we also know that research shows that care, kids who have parents that talk to them that set clear rules and expectations, um, they are less likely to use substances.
0: That That is really, it's interesting because as a parent of a newly minted teenager, um, it, that's a really good reminder that it's not inevitable and that if we have the conversations, um, we can control um, what information and how we we say it with our children um, can have a lot of effect, I guess, is what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. on the outcome. So that's amazing. Now, along the lines of people can reach out to you anytime, how do people reach you to find um, find out more or schedule a time for you to talk to a group or, or anything like that?
1: The best way is just to email me, Tara at healthyacadia.org. My name is spelled T-A-R-A and that's at healthyacadia. And if they go to the Healthy Acadia website, they can also um, see a list of staff and what our subject areas are. Um, So if they want to learn more about mindfulness or Tai Chi or healthy eating, we also have staff that can help them with that. They need a recovery coach, we have staff that can help with that. And we have several staff members in Washington and Hancock County that provide uh, prevention services for schools, youth, and communities.
0: Excellent. And I will put your email address as well as the website for Healthy Acadia oh, in the show notes so that people people can access it and see all the great stuff that you guys are doing. Now, before I let you go, because I know your schedule is super mm-hmm. full, um, what we usually ask our guests um, a question that ends every podcast. And your question for today is, If you could recommend that everybody listening read one book about the specific work that you do or even wellness in general, what would it be and why do you recommend it?
1: Um, I would recommend The Resilience Factor by Karen Revich and Andrew Schott. It's just a fantastic uh, book that gives seven ways that you can be more resilient and it goes in depth and it really can um, help you incorporate these practices into your life. But I'd also love for parents and teachers and community members, especially lawmakers and policymakers, to read the main integrated youth health survey data um, and pay particular attention on the statewide data to the health disparities between um, youth in the Black, Indigenous, and other people of color communities and the LGBTQ communities. Um, they're experiencing much higher levels of violence in the community, and lower levels of support. And this leads to many health disparities, including higher rates of depression and suicide and slightly elevated rates of substance use. And like I said before, welcoming communities are a protective factor, and they lower the levels of substance use for all youth across the board. So if you, even if you or your child is not a member of a minority community, working for equity benefits everyone's physical and mental health.
0: That is such a huge point, and I'm so glad that you brought it out. Um, if you can send me a link to how people can access that survey, I I will include that in these show notes as well. Um, because I just I wish we could we could have the, the podcast end with about five different iterations of you saying that that when we take care of one group, we take care of all our groups, um, no matter who we are. So and that's so
1: important, Mike. Uh- A presentation on the Maine Integrated Youth Health Survey data. I'm happy to share that. Um, I can share Hancock County level as compared to um, the statewide level as compared to the national level, so you can see where we're at and what issues are facing our community in a more colorful and graphic form. If you don't like looking at tables
0: and tables of data. Yes, we're not all tables and tables of data people, I guess, Um, but not everyone does. I know, same, same. I just, that's my love language. Um, Tara, thank you so much for spending the last half an hour with me today. This has been so educational. The work that you're doing is amazing. I hope you take our thanks back to your colleagues um, for the work that you do for Hancock County and specifically Darrell Stonington. And I can't wait to talk to you in the future. Um, when you're back in the schools and we can talk about um, getting to see those kids again and continue to discuss the work that you're doing. But thank you for being a voice for those that haven't always had a voice. And thank you for the educational work that you do.
1: Thank you so much for having me and have a great day.